Marisol, thank you so much for for doing the episode. I know we talked about it off and on in the holidays and everything, but yeah, we're sitting here in your exhibition. It's in its final few weeks here. I think it closes January 21st. It does close January 21st. (laughs) So um, yeah, I'm hoping you can tell me about the show itself and maybe in between some of the dialogue, we can talk about your history as an artist or maybe some other things you've done. Um, Yeah, so what... Explain the title for me. Um, so the title of the exhibition is En la Ribera del Rio Cauca, um, which I was actually asking a couple of people about how to translate the title. I didn't translate it for the exhibition, but, um, but it will translate something like, like in, the, in the banks of, of the Rio Cauca, of the Cauca River, basically, which is, um, which is one of the, the second most important river in Colombia. And then... Um, and then, yeah, it has a subtitle as well um, that actually I'm trying to, you know, while I'm looking at the, the wall here, uh, I cannot see it very well from here. So yeah, I'm we're in the gallery. I thought yes. it would be kind of cool to record <laughs> so in this I'm just going to go to uh, an image that I have here. Um, and the title in Spanish, or the subtitle is Indagaciones acerca del concepto de valor y de la vulnerabilidad en la coexistencia de las especies. And the translation for that will be inquiries about the concept of value and the vulnerability of the coexistence of a species. So, um, and one of the things that I wanted to kind of maybe mention a little bit before we, we get further into the conversation, um, I'm, you know, for many years I've been um, looking at the space here at Red and Sold and um, and it always, even for the, the first time that I step a foot here at the gallery and the space eh, a while ago, um, there's something about the space here that is absolutely enchanting, and I, and I think that all of us artists will agree with that. Um, and so it's been an honor to be part of this exhibition and, and the opportunity, of course, to play with the space in the way how you guys allowed me to do it. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, I feel the same way as an artist, too. I remember the first time I got invited to come to the building, I was like, you guys aren't going to get me to leave. Like, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, going back to the exhibition, um, there's something that has been very common around the, the work that I do. I, I enjoy very much uh, thinking and playing once again with the, with the space, the particular space. Um, you know, I've done, I've done it in the past in a couple of uh, galleries and museums, but, uh, but once again, I think that the architecture here um, emanated, of course, a very different sort of a structure for the exhibition. Um, and then, you know, also the work is very much about things that are kind of happening, of course, at the moment in my life or, or educational-wise, things that I've been wondering about. Um, and this exhibition kind of put me back a little bit to um, kind of the origins, if I might call the sort of essential to my life, and, and it put me back to landscape in Colombia, um, to the landscape that is very specific where I was basically born, and of course all the experiences that I had in my childhood. So, um, so yeah, the exhibition is very much about, uh, and connecting a little bit to uh, a pre-Colombian culture called the Quimbayas. Um, and every sort of storytelling, and, and there is a lot of myths and connections to that particular culture from my family. So I thought that I, I would like to start kind of thinking a little bit about kind of my, my personal sensibility to, to certain things. Um, 
aesthetics uh, in terms of uh, repetition and, and design that I never understood why I was attracted to them to begin with. So it kind of this exhibition in particular allowed me to really kind of get back to that and, and find a little bit of, of that sort of, once again, personal sort of connections um, and, and the, the idea of, of taste and pleasure that I may find in very specific things. Um, so yeah, this is it's a long, <laughs> of course, story, but, but this is kind of the, I will say the motivation to this, this exhibition. Yeah, I know you mentioned multiple times that uh, these works have to do with the, your family's farm and, and the, the way they live and the environment and the yes. changes there. Um, where is it specifically? So the, the farm is located very close to the Rio Cauca, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is once again the reason for the title. Um, but this is in the central uh, mountain, basically. The, so the Andes divides in Colombia into three different chain of mountains, the Cordillera Central, Occidental, and Oriental. Um, and so in the central chain of mountains is where, uh, and kind of in the middle of the country, is where this, this farm is located. So we have an incredible amount of, there's w extreme water everywhere, uh, which is actually a problem. It's mm. funny to, to think a little bit about that contrast of, of the landscape and how that shapes um, kind of the things that you, of course, the narrative of, of you know, your artwork. Um, but being here in San Diego, right, right now we are in the rainy season. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it, This is the know. only rainy season I ever remember <laughs> yeah. growing up here, but so we've had a lot of rain season. recently. Exactly, which is a little <laughs> bit funny to say that, again, rainy season, because once again, rain, it rains in the, the city that I'm from and, and the region that I grew up, it just basically rains every single day. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I, you know, the contrast with living here in San Diego is, is very much, um, you know, it's just very different. Is that, is that why you wanted to move to a drier climate like Southern <laughs> no, California? No, I, get away I from live here by, by um, just because of the school. I, I graduated in, in LA in the Claremont Graduate University and and then applying for the, the position here in mm -hmm. San Diego was a great opportunity. So did so. your family's farm, did you grow up there as a kid? Is this like a, is this a generational farm? No, or? I grew up in the city, uh, which is called Manizales. Um, and Manizales um, is kind of part of the coffee region. Um, and then um, all my family kind of live in different areas around that sort of rural landscape. Um, and so I end up just spending a great deal of my childhood in these other farms. And then more recently is where my, my parents decided to spend, you know, the last years of their lives just kind of living in a more, um, you know, natural environment. So mm -hmm. that's why the farm comes to the equation in the yeah. family as well. So. Um, yeah. What type of work did your parents do? Did they live in the city before they did the farming thing? Yes, they um, they just lived in the city. My father used to be uh, just a school teacher, and my mom spent probably I don't know fifty years of her life just having. Uh, she's a hairdresser, mm. which actually <laughs> was the reason why I, when I was in Colombia, I did a lot of projects with hair, oh, which okay. actually that was very unusual to people at the time so <laughs> so I have a lot of anecdotes about <laughs> that yeah. experience yes when did you first want to be an artist or was there art in the home or was there inspiration like that when you were growing up um ideas mm. of being an artist not at all actually I, I wonder a little bit about that because I think that I'm the only person that has been 
especially in the visual arts. I have a couple of uh, you know, cousins that are into music. My brother actually ended up being a percussionist for this band huh. now in his uh, later years. Um, but yeah, visual arts, I think that I'm the only one that somehow has been connected to that. Um, and I will say that um, the first time how that came to be, um, I had a couple of uh, very key, like, people in my life, one of which, when I was in, um, in high school, told me to, that I should study visual, visual arts. He used to be my, um, my philosophy um, you know, instructor. And so um, I just started looking into the programs. My opportunities at the time was just uh, visual designer or architecture or uh, fine arts. Uh, but there was something about the, the building that, I, that the program was kind of, you know, uh, developed basically um, so there was theater uh, visual arts and music in that building and, and, and the minute that I just step up in that building I, once again going back to architecture um, I really enjoyed just being around that space mm-hmm. yeah so you, you didn't grow up drawing or anything like that? This I did is- not um, I, I think that you know it, it, I worked really hard <laughs> at, yeah. at trying to, I, I actually remember specifically uh, entering the, the fine arts program, um, you know, one of the first sort of evaluation criteria to be part of the program was to imagine uh, there was a bunch of objects kind of underneath this black cloth, mm-hmm. um, many, many objects, and you had to imagine what could be there, right? And, and that was... You know, and I was very excited because I thought that, you know, in my mind, I, I felt proud of what I, what I accomplished. Um, I didn't know that all of those drawings to enter to the program were kind of saved um, until we graduated and they gave them back to us. Oh, wow. And I was just mortified by how horrible the drawing was. <laughs> <laughs> Which meant that, that of course, you, you do learn well, <laughs> things at school. <laughs> it is, right. <laughs> it is great to hear that, like, um, you know, you hear stories of people just, like, drawing came naturally to them. Mm-hmm. Hearing you say that you worked really hard to be a great illustrator, it's like, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it gives some people some hope that if yeah. they feel like they, if they work hard, they can actually become really good at drawing. Yeah, I talk to the students a lot about this as well, yeah. um, because everybody feels that they should have that sort of innate talent. A gift from and God exactly, to and draw they feel the bad, right? And when, when they see somebody in the classroom <clears throat> that more or less has that sort of skill just to kind of understand lines and, and values and things like that, they feel that they feel discouraged mm-hmm. because they feel that they don't have it. But I, as everything in life, I think that art, it really is just like any other profession you just Mm -hmm. need to work hard hard at it to be able to you know get where you want to be so yeah it's quite interesting because you know that I came to the United States uh, when I was trying to apply to programs uh, just you know um, master programs I was just really looking into installation inside a specific art I didn't do a lot of drawing. As a matter of fact, when I was in, in, in undergrad, um, I didn't do... I, I, of course, the training was there. We have to actually do six hours of drawing every single day for five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, you know, that helped. But, um, but my motivation wasn't really doing drawing. Um, I really wanted to create, a, you know, more, yeah, site-specific artwork. 
um, which once again brought me here to the United States and get into a program where I could kind of emphasize on that. But, uh, but after doing a couple of installations um, in Claremont, um, I realized that it wasn't very practical um, you know, in many cases to do the artwork that way. Um, I didn't have a way to store it. I didn't, some of them cost way more than what I had at the time. So I, I couldn't really embrace it. Um, so I started actually doing large um, scale drawings because mm. I wanted to embrace the space of the image. Many of them actually were sketches for almost like a sculptural or installation mm. type of work. So, um, so the scale came from the necessity of, of, of a space in a different way, something that could be accessible to me, um, and drawings were very direct and accessible. So, yeah. The yeah. idea of working site-specifically, where did that come from? Did, did you learn that at Claremont, or did you learn no. that when you were going to school in Colombia? In Colombia, so I... Um, of course, we, you know, I didn't have much access to, to museums or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the city had a bunch of universities. It's probably the, one of the cities, the small cities with the most universities <laughs> in the country, but, uh, which I appreciate very much. But, uh, but we don't have museums and, or very good art galleries or any of that. So everything was referenced through yeah, books and videos and the internet. Um, but... One of the artists that captivated me the most was Anne Hamilton. Oh, wow. And so, I thought you were going to say Doris Salcedo or somebody well, Colombian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course Doris Salcedo yeah. is such an important um, you know, reference, but, um, but I was just very much enchanted by the poetics of um, Anne Hamilton. Uh, I appreciated uh, Doris Salcedo's sort of social and political sort of compromised. Mm -hmm. That was mesmerizing to me at the time and as a student. And also site-specific installations. Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there was something about the work of Anne Hamilton that I just felt, like, oh, this is so tasteful and beautiful. And, and I just really wanted to understand a little bit more about how to accomplish things like that, you know. Yeah, that's great to hear. She's a, an amazing artist, and I, you know, she's obviously very famous. I just don't yes. hear her name <laughs> in my ears that often, so yeah. she's really great. Um, and the way you just said the poetics of her work, too, she's, yeah. you know, visually striking, such an incredible artist, but also there's just such um, beauty in the meaning of the works that she's made. Absolutely. And really so, yeah, there was something about, you know, her sensibility that really resonated with my life, I guess. So um, as a student, you came across her work? Yes, yes, I did. Um, um, yeah, and then, you know, I start kind of looking into the opportunity to once again apply to programs with, that will allow me to <laughs> sort of understand that a little better. Um, I, I came to uh, Claremont because there was a faculty member that um, that actually, when I read in the internet about um, you know his life, he used to call his artwork um, sound sculptures. Mm. He was a sound um, you know um, artist, but um, he actually worked with James Turrell. Um, What's his name? Michael Brewster. Mm. Michael Brewster um, did a lot of just it, it was just sound. And I just couldn't understand how, of course, sound could be a sculptural. Um, and that just sounded very interesting to me. And I started just digging into that program a little further. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, you know, I, I applied to it and, and I got accepted. Um, 
And, and actually, he was the person that saved my, <laughs> my life through grad school because I didn't speak a word of English. Wow. And he used to speak Portuguese and Spanish. Okay. Um, Did you know that when you applied or it was just... No, uh, I have no idea. It, ha it was a coincidence. <laughs> cool. and, and he allowed me to understand the, make sense of the program and take advantage of it with my, you know, very... Mm -hmm little understanding of the language uh, here so I'm not familiar with him is he still teaching there <clears throat> no he um, he unfortunately passed um, away a few years ago um, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me but yeah he because of his connection again with <laughs> with James Turrell mm -hmm. um, when we when we graduated James Turrell actually came to the program and we ended up all kind of talking to him and <laughs> taking photographs with him and wow. had a, it was a, actually a great time but um that's really cool yeah I think as a younger artist being able to meet a real professional artist is kind of mind-blowing it a little was bit. yeah it was definitely um so yeah the the idea of again sound um mm -hmm. was so amazing and, and I understood Again, the sculptural, the three-dimensional component of sound. Um, in one of the exhibitions that we went to uh, by Michael Brewster. So um, sitting in the middle of the space, just feeling the robust sort of sound traveling through your body mm -hmm. while you are just looking at few little perforations in a wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see absolutely anything, but you feel the sound. And so that was um, definitely a good moment in my life to kind of understand that there's many other ways right yeah I'm, as soon as we're done here i'm going to be looking at my yes. <laughs> i feel silly not knowing him um so what happened after that did you you stayed and started applying for teaching jobs right away or you were showing no I, it's so funny because since i didn't again speak english well i didn't understand this is actually a weird sort of um Thing that I'm, I'm just remembering how it happened. I, so I got a student visa, and the student visas are given for three years. Two years, of course, of the, the MFA, and then you need to decide whether you want to stay the third year in the United States or not. Um, and that thir third year, if you are going to stay, you have to fill out some specific form so that tells you what you are going to do. Um, but again, I was not—I was completely clueless of this form. And so, when I went to um, kind of ask a little bit about the the process of traveling back to Colombia and coming back for that year, they allowed me that I couldn't do it because I hadn't done that form. <laughs> anyway, the story is that for a short period of time, I was just in a sort of a limbo. Um, and I happened to actually get a job at the, the Colombian consulate in Los Angeles, hmm. uh, which had nothing to do with, <laughs> of course, uh, being an artist, but because the consul actually invited me to an exhibition at the consulate, she offered me a job uh, for that one year that I had not a specific sort of direction so mm -hmm. um so yeah that allowed me to stay a little longer and, were you still practicing applied, yeah were you still working on your on your work on the in, in the background or? yeah absolutely um and i continue doing a couple, actually at that time i was drawing more uh, when i graduated um, and the position at southwestern college opened up and then i applied for it and and it was 
Perfect. <laughs> were you doing shows in Los Angeles or were you doing shows anywhere around campus? I was doing exhibitions, yeah, in a couple of uh, more experimental uh, spaces. Um, I did few installations, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the installations I remember using, um, you know, I was doing actually drawings with sand and dirt and mm-hmm. different sort of powder materials on floors. Yeah. I was just really trying to look for other kind of, uh, you know, experimental processes at the time, but. And uh, so yeah. you're still at Southwestern now. Uh, so, yes. So how I, long have you been there? I've been there for 18 years. Yeah, this year will be 19. Wow. So yes. That's so cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, that's really neat. So it's, at the at the time when you started there, were you teaching, what were you teaching, drawing or? Um, so I was hired to teach um, the three-dimensional area, mm-hmm. right? The sort of um, sculpture, three-dimensional design. Uh, and at the time, we used to have a class called um, actually New Genre Installation and Site-Specific Art, which later on uh, the name changed to um, just Contemporary Art Practices, mm. because I think that that name of installation wasn't really like very clear to people that have never, you know, been right. in the art world. Um, so yeah, we, we decided to change the name, but that's, that's kind of, those are the classes that I usually teach. And sometimes I teach printmaking and drawing just because I, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's so <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when did you start using paper and folding uh, materials three-dimensionally? Paper, paper is such a mesmerizing material. <laughs> Uh, but with very, you know, strong personality, and I say that only because paper, um, it kind of, it's um, the idea of the memory of the paper and the folds um, and the way how you interact with it, it's got to be so specific, right? Paper just allows you to do certain things. Uh, and I like that, that sort of, you know, um, once again, that personality of the material. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, I talk to students a lot, and there's a lot of materials that make my mouth watery, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I say that all the time to them. Um, but paper is one of them. I, I love, I know that when you purchase paper, you don't go and just touch paper because you will get it dirty, but, but I think that, um, yeah, the material itself, and going back to repetition, and going back to um, almost finding meditation with the material, I think that has... Uh, led me to what is called the systematic folding, kind of trying to see the paper engineering part of it, and especially because I teach three-dimensional design, bringing that to the classroom has been actually very interesting to me as well. Mm-hmm. When did you but, come across something like systematic folding? Was it through origami, or where did you learn that? Where did I learn that? Um, I did a little bit of... Again, I was very curious with folding in Colombia. I used to just for fun fold paper. I I used to sit with my mom, um, and we used to, when I was a a kid, and we used to make an M, kind of starting with the accordion sort of form of paper, right? You make the little Mm -hmm. accordion, and then you fold it into these other creases to produce letters, right? Um, I I used to do the M because of my name, but... um, but I remember that that was very satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. That idea of continuity is very important to me. I don't get bored mm-hmm. of folding a paper eternally. Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> I, I actually find it ex- like exquisite. 
And of course, I sound absolutely ridiculous because, you know, especially once again, when I'm trying to introduce these, these concepts to the classroom, um, you know, some people, it's not an enjoyable process because again, the paper is moody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? moody, that's it's funny extremely to describe moody. it that way. <laughs> That's not, not very I for- hate it. Do you see it as a forgiving material or is it it's not forgiving? It's enough? not. Yeah. So I, I guess that really brings us to the exhibition mm-hmm. too because there there's a large uh, image of the vessel. Could you describe that piece? Yes. Yeah, so this piece is um, the form itself is actually coming from the inspiration to once again the Kimbaja that I mentioned earlier. Uh, particularly in a form that is called the poporo. And the poporo is basically a vessel, a pre-Columbian vessel, um, a golden vessel, that became extremely iconographic in Colombia, probably one of the most valuable, again, objects that I can think of, (laughs) Uh, you know, from our history and culture. Um, And this vessel, um, I tried to craft uh, and do a little bit of another version of the vessel with paper um, and literally with, again, systematic folding of paper. Uh, but the paper is actually uh, using hundreds of lottery tickets from Colombia. <laughs> so um, just to kind of give a little bit more of context of these, these lottery tickets. Um, so years ago, um, I guess the idea of also obsession comes a little bit from my father as well. He is a collector, as a matter of fact. I think that all of us in my family agree that, you know, he's 83 years old right now. If he, um, you know, the time that he's gone, he actually collects little things. He has a little uh, drawer full of little collections in his whole life that he has found on the streets, on roads, on, on just... And so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he doesn't let us open it or do it. Like it we are not allowed to touch it. So no. we all, as a family, we just, we are competing <laughs> who, who is going to, you know, what is What does he on. see them as? Or he's just intrigued and sees beauty in, in it? He just, he's it, just very it, intrigued. Is it, is it beauty that he sees in the objects? It's a combination it? of things. Mm-hmm. Some things he collects because he feels that he's going to use them later uh-huh. on but he cannot help but collect them mm. uh, even if he you know uh, i don't know there's is because it's a it's a mix of things mm-hmm. um and the other thing that again that he collected is lottery tickets mm. he he he's in his life he used to um you know when he was living in the city he used to probably i don't know how much lottery <laughs> he purchased but but the fact that he kept all of those pieces of paper and again we're talking of thousands and thousands of them it's mm. a um it's kind of very interesting to me. And, and then one day he just gave me this box of, of lottery tickets. And he, he said, well, this is for you. And see if, if you can craft something out mm. of them. Um, I, I, I was very speechless at the time. I, I felt that, you know, I kept them for a little while. I didn't have anything at the moment that I could create with them. I tried, but nothing was making a lot of sense. Um, and then coming back to this exhibition and... And once again, thinking a little bit about the poporo, uh, unfolding that form with these lottery tickets, all the cert- certain, of course, had sort of a perfect, um, you know, connection. Once again, with the value of the poporo, uh, the, again, value that is beyond, <laughs> mm. uh, beyond money, uh, of course. 
uh, against something that doesn't have absolutely any value, which is... These are losing <laughs> tickets. Absolutely, these yeah. Are, these, these are, are Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there is nothing cheaper than a lottery ticket that you didn't win. Mm -hmm. So um, just the contrast of those two references, I thought that it was very interesting to me to play with. So, um, And it's a... It's a it's a real vessel that you photographed and yes. you, you created out of these lottery tickets. You folded them and created a three-dimensional object. Yes. So the, um, yeah, the whole <coughs> object, even though at the, the space here, the exhibition, it's a, it's a photograph, it's an image. Um, I crafted the object to be completely three-dimensional. I couldn't, I, I don't, I don't fake things. I don't like making something look like something else. Mm -hmm. I understand the, uh, and appreciate the honesty of materials. Um, and so I think that it was very important to me to not fake the object because it's only viewed through the frontal, um, right, straightforward view. But, but once again, you know, produce the whole three-dimensionality effect. I created the vessel. It's about um, four and a half feet, I will say, height. Mm -hmm. Um, it's huge. <laughs> and, then, and then, yeah, photographed it. Um, and I also cut out digitally from the vessel these uh, moths. Um, and the moth is actually taken from an exact photograph of a very specific moth in Colombia, mm. which we have in the farm by the millions. <laughs> mm. um, they come, especially when it rains, uh, at night the light bulbs... Uh, and the whole house, your cell phone, any, any screen, any source of light gets absolutely covered with these, um, these moths. They are about one centimeter uh, long, which kind of is exactly the size that I decided to cut them out of the, the, the image. Um, and yeah, they are kind of taking the vessel away, basically, the mm. paper vessel. So. And that brings us into the largest piece here in the yes. gallery. It's over 50 feet long probably, um, and it's got the moth imagery and the light. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so the title of the word that Tom is referring to is actually One by One at Night. Um, and this actually, this, this installation, I, I kind of refer to it as a, as a drawing installation. Um, it's a, over a hundred sort of pieces or panels uh, that has been, they have been routed by hand actually. <laughs> People think that it's a, it's a laser cut, but I couldn't do the laser cutting for this project, so we... Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we, this is all hand cut. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> this is not laser <clears throat> cut. <laughs> wow. But, uh, but uh, they're, all of them are kind of um, uh, rhombus, rhombuses. Um, and also, uh, they are saturated with charcoal. Um, and this exhibition, it's, or this particular piece, is actually created with erasing or taking away all of these uh, insects or moths, uh, what I call chapolas. Um, and the chapolas are these just things that fly around the lights, of course, everywhere. Um, and of course, in Colombia, it's just extremely dramatic um, because of the, the weather. Um, but it's also extremely mesmerizing because, you know, which goes back a little bit to the idea of value that I mentioned as kind of the subtitle for this exhibition. Um, what we choose to like, what we choose to dislike as human beings is extremely powerful to me, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. 
how we highlight the idea of the colors and the beauty of the butterfly, mm -hmm. but yet we do the opposite, for example, to the moth or other insects in particular. Um, and of course, you know, this brings back a little bit to that idea of, of, of vulnerability um, in the landscape, right? Um, you know, how much we try to think about the many ways to get rid of the moths or the ants or the, even the bees, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because they annoy us, right? Um, but so it's, it's, I just find kind of a, the opportunity in a very quiet and sort of intimate way to, to rethink how we behave around certain species, what they make us feel, and how um, in a different way they, you know, what is their, their place in the world basically, and, and how we can manage to have some sort of balance with them. So, uh, so this, yeah, this piece in particular has a lot of components, I guess, to all their work that I have done. Uh, these moths and insects dancing around the light is very much you know, a metaphor to a lot of work that I've done in the past. I mean, essentially, we are all searching for some sort of light as individuals, as, you know, societies. We, we always think about light in so many different ways. Um, and I think that, you know, using them in reference to, uh, using the, the insects in reference to literally dancing around this light in the gallery, uh, it gave me the opportunity to also once again go back to my initial sort of artist statement <laughs> mm -hmm. that it's um, the very um, specific way that we relate to hope and value in general. Um, who we are as human beings, where we want to be, what we choose to do or, um, you know, like or once again dislike, right? So yes, the light definitely is a is kind of the way how I wonder about that mm -hmm. concept of hope, which I find it to be a little bit imperfect. And mm -hmm. that's kind of strange to say. I am afraid of, of hope, if I can say that. I am um, ambivalent about what hope is <laughs> to individuals. Um, I don't talk too much about these things because yeah, it sounds I'm like, very strange. It's so, no, it's like so heavy. I'm like trying to wrap my brain around exactly what you mean. I, like, um, I just feel that it's very easy to manipulate <laughs> you yeah. know, societies with the concept yeah, you of you can hope. you can pull some strings by um, um, yeah um, working on on somebody's ability to hope or or want something or I just find it to be I, I call it an, sort of an imperfect concept because uh, because it's, it's an illusion right and illusions are um, are extremely abstract um, and I think that, like for example, you know, the, the idea of, I might relate to something extremely specific, um, coming to the United States from Colombia, that idea of, again, the American dream, right? Um, of course, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's an illusion, right? Mm -hmm. Because, again, that idea of that, you know, what that means in the mind of people is completely different, right? So I think that that idea of what is sold as, as hope and illusion, it's always never what is intended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it goes back to even Plato with the world of ideas, right? When, when he was thinking about the fact that when you, when you represent ideas and you make art out of them or you are making, 
you know, make something tangible out of those abstract ideas, you destroy the idea of, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I think that it has to do a little bit to, you know, in that imperfection of, of the concept, uh, you know, in this case, of course, the concept of hope. But going back to the light that you were talking about, too, these windows that you um, did in the space and um, also the, the reference to, to the shape here, the circular piece that's also um, repeated in the windows. Can you tell us about that, too? Yes. Um, so, you know, going back to this, the, the, the farm itself, I, you know, one of the things that happened specifically that made me wonder about these, these pieces was um, there's something happened in the farm. The, all the, the plantain, the, the trees were dying. Um, and of course, you know. And so that's what your family's farming is yes, bananas or um, plantains. And of course, you know, we're not farmers. Um, and somehow, you know, I, I like to do research and I like to connect to people that might know, of course, more about all of these and, and doing this, uh, finding out what, what's wrong with the trees, what's happening, because, of course, the, the plantains are needed, the, the bananas are needed, the fruit is needed. Um, you know, it came back to, to the fact that we start cutting. I, in a visit that I did to Colombia, we start cutting, slicing, basically, the, the trunks to see what what was happening and, mm -hmm. and then we discovered that there was a bunch of uh, little um, they are called picudos um, it's this particular sort of beetle that you know it's it's throughout you know um, South America it's, it's very hard to get rid of you have to make these specific traps but not knowing all of this that idea of the, the carving or the piercing the form um, immediately kind of start becoming very interesting to me. Um, but while slicing actually the, the plantain, I realized the incredible structure that the plant itself has. Um, so it's, it's the growth of the bark, basically, of, of the trunk. It's, it's just very mesmerizing to me. So I, <laughs> I was really supposed to fix the problem of the, 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 <laughs> the plague. <laughs> Um, I just really concentrated in the design and, and the beauty of, of that, something that, um, you know, that I enjoy doing, observing and staying there, and, and which actually might connect later on to the, the drawings that, I will, that I'm doing right now with the leaves. Just right. that sort of, um, just paying attention to something that is so quiet and quite powerful at the same time. So, um, so yeah, so that, that the design basically of that trunk allowed me to connect to the idea of repetition, uh, very similar repetition that the Kimbajas use for a lot of the, the gold crafting and the filigrana and many of the sort of designs created for, um, you know, ear um, elements and the nose and the, the chest sort of plates. Um, and so, yeah, I created a half sort of... Um, design, um, kind of a golden filling underneath gold underneath a uh, filling drawing uh, from the design of the bark of the plantain. Um, and I left some little sort of, you know, forms that are very abstract uh, into the design, simulating a little bit of that sort of a form that is affecting another one. Um, so yeah, this is probably one of the, I, I enjoy the title of the piece because the title is called uh, The Center is Not the Center. Um, I, I get obsessed over symmetry um, 
and also order. I don't know if I <laughs> might have some OCD mm -hmm. problems, <laughs> but uh, but I measure the center. I and usually I notice again. I notice distances and things like that. So I was being bothered by the fact that when I, st I was trying to simulate this, this sort of design, the center was in the center, um, which really actually made the whole piece even better. Um, I think that the fact that I couldn't find the center was also good to me mm -hmm. in many ways. So. Yeah, it's, I'm just realizing now that the center is offset. Yes. Yeah, it's a half circle. So there's so many different types of works. Uh, as far as material, there's some drawing, some charcoal, there's these window vinyl pieces, and there's also this concrete. Is it concrete that you were using? Yes, so they... Um, and ingots, or, or you're calling them ingots? So yeah, they are, um, so I, I created a mold out of, once again, the, a systematic fold of paper. Um, it's called the V-pleats. It's one of the very uh, initial sort of simple um, folds that, that, you know, that you enter, when you enter the world of, of obsessive systematic folding, um, you know, paper folding. And then I made a mold of that uh, folded paper, um, and then I cast it um, over 30 sort of forms with concrete. Um, many of them have um, these sort of metal drops or forms embedded into the concrete. Um, and the, the whole piece has sort of a gradient of color from black in the bottom to green on the top of the form. And the whole structure of the form, it's, um, it's just a teardrop shape, which once again, going back to kind of those forms that have been with us for generations and generations, and we don't really think about why is that they get to be so repeated, but there is something quite profound on them. Um, and I wanted to bring that back to the conversation here for the show as well. So, in the the metal material, you actually embedded it in the wall. Um, can you describe that whole process with the? Yes. Um, so, it's kind of interesting how sometimes what you see or or again what you experience, and um, sometimes even unconsciously, you you might bring to some of the artwork. I think that for this particular piece, um, you know, being on the farm, there was one particular tree that is very colorful, um, and I actually spent the night just looking at these very large ants that we have. They are called uh, hormigas arrieras, um, and these ants actually crawl the tree, and then the next day, there's no one single leaf in the tree. And that, once again, is terrifying, <laughs> but at the same time, is it was very mesmerizing to me. So I just looked at the ants for a long period of time, how they carried away each chunk of, the, of these leaves um, and the size that they cut them and also this, the shape, you know, the, the size and the shape that they cut them, um, which actually, it goes back to the other drawing that I have here at the, at the gallery that I will mention um, in a moment. But just by doing that, um, kind of having that leaf, which is kind of the, the shape of the, the concrete forms, um, being affected by another force. Um, and at the same time, once again, um, you know, something that is kind of coming from the bottom up of that whole sort of um, installation itself it was very important to me. Um, once again, it's a very abstract sort of loose reference to the ants, 
but I guess the energy of it was also something that I wanted to relate to. Uh, and in another way, it does read also as rain, which in a very poetic and quiet way, I, I like to uh, make allusion to um, the rain almost like coming from the bottom up and affecting the form. So. Yeah, and I love that it's actually in the wall. It's part of the. It's actually part of the space. It's yes, you, you actually embedded the. <laughs> I'm glad that you. Yeah, <laughs> that you okay that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. As soon as you mentioned I it, wasn't I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, I think on the exhibition flyer that we made, there's a small image from your studio, and it had a, a little test sample of it embedded in the wall. And as soon as you said you know, I was like, absolutely, let's figure out a way to do it. I love that kind of stuff, you know, being able to do that here uh, at Bread and Salt. But it makes this space very unique. Yeah, it's great. Um, And so there's a few more pieces. There's the large uh, diamond-shaped panel that you were kind of referring to that is back into drawing. Yes, uh, so, you know, going back to the the story of the ants, um, I think that when I, there's two things that, once again, are, are from the concrete work, um, and once again, the drawing, the diamond drawing. Um, one each, once again, the Vipli is the systematic folding of that piece of paper, but now drawn. Um, and in the bottom of the work, it's kind of this growth of the a leaf, or the, the veins uh, of the leaf kind of merging into that systematic folding or the geometry of that form. Um, and kind of the texture, the repeated texture underneath the whole structure is once again, all of those little forms that I was looking into the ants carrying away the tree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the shape and the size, I tried to repeat it as many times as if I could imagine how long does it take for these ants to take this leaf away, Mm -hmm. right? so those are things that are not obvious when you see my work, and I don't know how obvious I should make them. Sometimes people want to see on, like, the information on the label to be very specific. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think that that narrative that might be a little, once again, even far away from the, the visual of the image, um, I think that I find that actually quite fascinating, that it's not completely translated into words, you know, all the time in the work. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I I think myself, uh, you know, I love um, reading a lot about artists and reading their essays and things like that. But, you know, if uh, part of making the work is, uh, you know, creating questions and answering things and all this stuff where it's it's something that you can't bring to words mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm even struggling trying to say it but it's <laughs> like if you if you could just be writing about it the whole time why would you even bother making exactly. work so yeah, I completely agree. there's so much yeah. to 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 learn from my I'm speaking for myself mm-hmm. you know so many times I make stuff just so I can sit and think about it for extended periods of times sometimes years I'll go back and think about something that I made but if it was that easy, I mean, why even yeah. make the work? But. So, so yeah, the, the work itself, you know, um, I, I like to, f- like, for example, the idea of, of constraints and, and how we, um, like, for example, how we see a drawing or a painting or a sculpture, right? What is, what is um, normal in our minds, the stereotypes of things. Um, I, I decided to cut some of these drawings in, in, in different shapes, again, the 
the, the, the piece that is, the, the center is not the center, the drawing uh, is not really a circle, which of course <laughs> in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my mind actually literally a little bit just by looking at the fact that it's not even like the, the borders of that form are not completely circular. Again, in my mind, I'm, I'm very bothered by that kind of... It's a lot of tension. Yeah, it's just like, it really drives me nuts. <laughs> but again, it's, it's because it's brought from a natural form, so of course it's not a perfect circle. Right. Um, and then going back to the diamond, again, uh, cutting that form to be what it is, is very important to me. It's kind of going back to the essential things, which sometimes um, I wish I could speak, you know, more and more through my artwork about the essential, I'm learning from that. Um, I get, you know, I like to say that sometimes I even get a little um, bored by, you know, by the way how things can be presented. Like my drawings have always been, again, rectangular. Uh, in a few occasions I've done a square uh, format. But just playing with that and, and try to find what else is there is mm -hmm. very exciting to me. That kind of that leads into yeah. this um, last bit of work where you created this wall and then you have these um, empty frames, but they're they're very odd shapes. Some of them curve around a corner. Some of them lie across a pedestal or up up on a corner. Um, how did that start? So, so these are just. Um, the shapes themselves, are, were the drawings, um, were you already thinking about the drawings that were going to go in there, or are you trying to inspire yourself um, to do something oddly shaped? I don't know how to word that. That actually came from, um, you know, back to the, the, the location in La Ribera del Rio Cauca, back to, the, to what I was used to, again, in my childhood to do, and what the landscape offered. Uh, one of the things that I that I still do every time that I have the opportunity to walk around, you know, in the, through the, some of the trails there, through the farm, and, and going around the rivers. Uh, I just collect leaves. Mm. I obsess over leaf collection because in my, again, elementary school, we used to make many times what is called an herbario. And an herbario is just really the analysis of the leaves according to the, the nerves and the borders and all of these, or the shapes. Um, and if I can think about anything that gave me incredible satisfaction was that. Again, through my all education through elementary and high school, I think that I always go back to the herbarios that I did. Um, and of course, we have an abundance of variety of leaves. Um, and so it was very... Um, you know, it's a very humbling experience. I don't know how to explain it. Just to compare, to read through all those forms, and to think about why why do they grow that way? Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting sort of you know at the time. It was just very interesting to me. Has been always. I still don't have any answers. I don't, I'm not a you know I, I'm not an expert by any means in, in leaves, of course. But um, but the growth. Uh, is very specific, and that allowed me to think a little bit about how leaves will grow into a specific sort of structures and spaces, um, which, you know, if I can think about symbolic or, you know, some sort of metaphor to my life, which is a little bit how I feel, mm. you know, coming from Colombia to the United States, how is that work out? My, my personality, my artwork, you know, 
to uh, uh, to what extent I'm still sort of again a Hispanic sort of artist, uh, uh, and to what extent after being here for you know over 20 years, I'm becoming something else, right? Um, so I think a little bit about that, and I related maybe to my life in a very quiet way, um, but also once again. Um, going back to the essential, at what point we remained <laughs> to the essence of the growth and who we are, and, and the leaf itself, the essence of that leaf, right? Mm. And, and so that corner of the gallery where that work is, you're coming on Fridays and you're drawing for a few hours to fill those frames, so um, it's been really neat watching you do that and, <laughs> and create these pieces in the space. It's really cool. I really enjoy the... Um, also, you know, I was mentioning to you, to you um, uh, before that my work is, you know, very much based on observation, right? I, when I was uh, for five years in Colombia, <laughs> being trained to always draw from observation. Um, so you get used to that. And, and it's terrifying when, when you draw something that is not there that is just in your mind, right? Um, and I find jealousy and fascination in the people that actually get to be just trained doing that without observing things, right? Um, so yeah, just, I think that the drawings have given me a lot of freedom, which I don't have in my other work. My work is, you know, I, sometimes I spend years thinking about these pieces, right? Crafting them, seeing what's, you know, what the possibilities are, but these drawings with the leaves just allow me to just play with the space and think about that growth. I start just literally making veins and the structure and see what happens to them until I find sort of the, the edges of that frame and how the borders of that leaf might be because of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that, the, like freedom, I, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, <laughs> it really I, has been wonderful to my life, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, seeing seeing these oddly shaped frames, yeah. some of them are so oddly structured, mm -hmm. they don't make a lot of complete sense, they don't have right angles, they're not square, they're um, all different shapes, and you're challenging yourself by kind of freestyling these um, references yes. to, to, to structures and... You're making it up as you go. It's really sounds really fun to me. It's very interesting. I was just laughing the other day when uh, when a friend of mine and of course an artist that also exhibited here, uh, Richard Keeley, oh, yeah. <laughs> was was looking at the frames and and we were just both laughing before <laughs> I started doing the drawings. Um, talking about the fact that I, I might just might ruin the frames <laughs> by just adding, of course, the drawings to them. Uh, you know, but I, I hope that I, I am not. But I think that really playing uh, and imagining what can be as part of, mm -hmm. even, again, if, if I didn't make the drawings, I think that the fascination of imagining what could be there is also <laughs> uh, something that I enjoy very much in art, it's like the magic trick, right? What can be there, what, what's possible in that sort of white piece of paper. Um, yeah, and so I love anyway. our audience being able to come in and a lot of people without reading the label or the information are just kind of excited about the way they look on the wall themselves. Yeah. So I think as people come in before the show closes, they'll be really excited to see these um, drawings in there. Yeah. Something else I wanted to talk about just before we finish here is your public work. So you have, you have some public works around San Diego that people can go see. One of them is on Pacific Coast Highway and another one... Um, you were describing yesterday is on a uh, on a hiking trail right in South Bay. Is that 
This so um, currently my husband uh, Ingram Ober. Um, so yeah, uh, we have created a few works here in in, in the county in, in San Diego. Um, permanent public. Yeah, works. permanent public art works. Um, one actually, our first work was at Miracosta College in oh, San okay. Elijo campus. That piece, um, it's actually being moved to another location because they are doing a lot of remodeling of that area. Um, and the second of the work where actually two of them happen almost simultaneously. Uh, one is the Bay Cypher Station 2, which is right in front of the administration building. Yeah, county so administration building. So it's, yeah, building. it's um, Pacific Highway and Cedar Street. Um, and Rob Quigley designed the building. Yes, we, um, this is actually one of the first times that artists have the opportunity to work with with the um, either the design team for a park or again the architecture, uh, so we were honored and, and we worked very close together with with um, with Bob Quigley and and that made a, you know that made a big difference in the process. You know, usually public art, you sh you know you get to have the public art after everything has been yeah. finished and the public art gets to be of course yeah, they give a million dollars to somebody to design something and then they ask an artist to come in and make yeah, it look yeah. pretty for yeah. a few thousand bucks so anyway it was it was fascinating of course um you know for the first time that we that we met um the architect and we were able to start talking about it right and the the second work um or basically the third word, but second that happens simultaneously with the Bay Fire Station is the South Crest Trails Park. Um, and that piece was, um, I will say that the process itself was also, uh, it made a lot of sense to us. Uh, and it's one of the projects that we have worked more closely with the community. Um, everything became part of kind of, um, you know, a lot of photographs and storytelling um, and references that, that of course that we didn't, you know, that we didn't have, and that it made the entire project be it just makes a lot of sense with the with the space itself. Um, so that felt very good. I think that you know, when as an artist you are not just bringing what you feel your strengths are or what you can do better but instead just listen and craft from those other people's sort mm. of you know uh, references is, is very powerful so and you're right in the middle right now working on a public project with with your husband ingram yes um and that is bayer park um and bayer is actually um, an area that has been developed uh, this is um, in san isidro um, that particular park, we are hoping that it's going to be developed in the next year or so. Uh, we are right now in the schematic proposal sort of, um, um, you know, stage of it. Um, actually, yesterday we were, um, you know, work with, working with the community, getting a lot of feedback from the community for, for this particular artwork. Um, and what is exciting about this uh, public art is that for the first time, we will be also collaborating with Casa Familiar um, and a very strong program that they have towards the, again, the environment um, and uh, air pollution, for example, talking a little bit about how art can be um, an advocate or uh, somehow make sort of highlight the importance and the consciousness of 
um, you know, the air pollution, especially the because border. of the proximity with the border. Yeah. Yes. So. Thank you so much for for getting in here and doing a podcast. Um, Thank yeah. you, Tom. <laughs> yeah. It's been wonderful having this yeah. conversation. For no, sure. it's been great. And the show was a long time coming. I think we were planning for a year or more. I don't know. There's conversations going back for a while. So Absolutely. It's, it's nice that we did it. So thank you. Thank you.